Once a year, Sasha Labore and I sit down to discuss the past year and what the coming year looks like for the DevOps and Jenkins communities. As CEO of CloudBees, Sasha has broad visibility into the progress of the DevOps and DevSecOps communities. We started our talk this year commenting on the growth of the Jenkins World Conference with over 2,000 attendees. What does Sasha attribute that to, and does it coincide with the growth within the DevOps community? We continued our discussion by examining how cultural transformation within a company must align with the tools that are available to help with that transformation. Along the way, we touched on where cultural transformation comes from within an enterprise, the question of whether DevOps has yet to jump the chasm, the tipping point for a company's full acceptance of DevOps patterns, and what does Sasha hope to accomplish in the coming year? Stay with us. This is the DevSecOps Podcast. The DevSecOps Podcast is supported by OWASP. Organizers of Melbourne's OWASP AppSec Day 2019, Australia's biggest software security conference. And by All Day DevOps, the world's largest DevOps conference with over 30,000 attendees, live online, November 6th. You guys have a conference now with 2,000 people here. Yes. From the beginning when we had 200 people at the first one. Yeah. Right? And everybody was ecstatic. Yes. Now you got 2,000. What, what changed? I think it's just the adoption of, uh, of DevOps. It's, uh, it's just accelerating. And I remember it was pretty frustrating when we first focused on that back in 2010 mm -hmm. because we would talk with lots of organizations and they would conceptually like the idea. Uh, and, and when we started, it was, it was slightly different, right? We're a platform as a service, so we were doing CI-CD with Jenkins, but we had also a platform as a service for deployment. And, but all of those things are related, right? Cloud, uh, DevOps, uh, containers, they all reinforce each other. And so if I look back in 2010, conceptually people got it, they, they, they were getting it, but when it comes to actually doing it, there were lots of good excuses so how why not to do it and uh, uh, and so I remember being on Wall Street and, and explaining the cloud and, and continuous delivery to banks and they thought they were, I was being cute you know it was not just credible to, to do those kind of things and what I think has unlocked things is to work with some of the leaders the more most visionary companies in that space so you can essentially convince those companies not because you talk to them because that's never going to work it was clear very early on that I would never be able to convince anybody but to show them that what they say is essentially quote unquote BS right or they're hiding behind their little finger because other companies start doing it so does it mean they should go in jail because they're doing something illegal mm -hmm. or does it mean that the other bank is going to lose because they don't do they're not aggressive enough uh, and innovative enough with, with their IT. That's why we see those big inflection points. It's once uh, s somebody can make a, a statement to the market and say that's what we need to do. And so I think we've seen this, this amazing bottom-up movement take place from within organizations, but also some companies with visionaires at the top driving this. 
and now it has become the new normal, so organizations have to do it. That's why we're seeing all of those people with uh, you know, tags from leading-edge companies and, and, and followers as well coming, and they want to know all about uh, digital transformation, CI, CD. The way you see that is also because when you walk around, and that's what I like about the Moscone, by the way, there is lots of light and lots of space, you see people talking to each other. They exchange tricks. They want to know what did you do, how did it work, what are you going to pick, and it's it's uh, it's a big part of this transformation, right? There is not one book that says do one, two, three, and you're done. A lot of discovery needs to happen. One of the things that I've seen is the financial institutions were the ones that went deep first, because if you didn't buy into the DevOps concept and you were a financial institution, you got behind the curve really fast. Is that what you guys saw over the last five years? Well, we see developers, developer organization, be early to do CI and do things like mm -hmm. static code analysis and so on. But the move to, uh, to cloud, the move to continuous delivery took a, a lot more time because it started to impact operations and operations in a bank it's, it's, it's a crown jewel, right? So it's sure. very sensitive. So, so this part took, uh, took more time, uh, very clearly. Uh, we're working with companies today, big banks, big international banks. They still do not have containers approved. When you see that, you can only feel the pain for the people working in those organizations because all of the tools they will want to use to go faster, to remove friction, to be more agile, will at some point ask for containers, right? It's, it's such an obvious tool for the job. We, we see what I would call uh, the long train of DevOps, right? It's a maturity train where you have uh, at the front of the train some companies that are highly, highly visible, the Netflix of the world doing all of the right things, plus building their own software. And then we have everybody else following and, and there is nothing bad about it, right? Uh, we need to have a lot of empathy for what's a difficult change but it takes, it takes a long time. Some organizations are not even doing CI today. When you talk about changes in the industry and practitioners talking to each other, yeah. how much do you think Gene Kim's Phoenix Project and the DevOps Enterprise Summit influenced the large organizations? I'm curious from your point of view. I think it's very important to have those type of... Uh, um, they're kind of the PhD of... Uh, of software delivery, right? Mm -hmm. they, 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 they show you through the science why those things are real right. and, and, and why you need to, to, to follow them, essentially. Uh, to me, the, the, the Phoenix Project was really uh, an amazing book uh, for me personally, but then also for the organization. We ask a lot of our uh, employees to read it. We offered a lot of those, those books to, uh, to prospect customers and, and, and around because Sometimes DevOps is a bit conceptual or digital transformation of software is eating the world. What does it really mean? It depends on people. Some people just get it intuitively because they understand it. Take history. History. I, I never care to read about history because to me it, it doesn't resonate. But when I read books from Ken Follett, for example, when you actually go through stories to understand how people were living at that time, how they were thinking, what rights they had, then you get all of the empathy of things. You understand really deep in your guts what it was, and then you make sense of history with a big H. 
To me, it's the same thing with DevOps and digital transformation. You can conceptually get it, but once you read books like the Phoenix Project, you are that guy who is under pressure to deliver and nothing is working. You're that guy everybody's screaming at because the, the point of sale systems are down. You're that guy who at some point know magically all of the tricks to solve everything, but you're the big bottleneck, right? You're a bit of all of those guys at time in your career. And, and I think uh, working on the emotion and the empathy to convince people is a super powerful tool. I think that the strength of that book is what you just described, that everybody reading that book that's in the industry can identify with at least one of those characters. I, absolutely, yes. It was yes. very nicely done, very nicely done. You also mentioned cultural transformation. Uh, Derek and I, because of All Day DevOps, have a, a unique view into what's going on in the industry because we get 30,000 people to yeah. register for the conference. Two years ago, we found... Everybody was talking about Kubernetes. We had a third of the sessions were saying Kubernetes. And then last year, I actually call it the year of the cultural transformation because people stopped submitting sessions for tools and started talking about how they had to transfer the culture thought process before they could even think about tools. I would assume you guys are seeing that or you've seen that a lot? Yeah, I, I changed my mind over time on those topics quite a few times. So. Yes, theoretically you're right. You first need to change culture and then you can get people to use the tools. However, I'm also very much aware that using the tools make you change the culture. It's a great slide to, 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 make, to force you to change behavior. You know? Again, I think that trying to change behavior purely uh, by trying to, in an abstract way, change the, the culture, or some of the processes, but not using the tools. Why? If you're using the tools, even in an awkward fashion, even if in, a, in an imperfect fashion, it's already the start of a motion. And I, I truly think that we should not put one versus the other. They should be done both at the same time because they reinforce each other. They're not fighting each other. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of All Day DevOps. This year, All Day DevOps has expanded to 150 sessions, including nine sessions dedicated to OWASP projects, such as Siba talking about DevOps assurance with OWASP SAM version 2, the OWASP security knowledge framework with Glenn and Ricardo Tencari, DevSecOps in Azure with OWASP DevSlop featuring Tanya Janka, and an overview of the OWASP Top 10 with Carolyn Wong. Simon Bennett will also be talking about the OWASP Zap HUD project. It's a session not to be missed. All Day DevOps is a free community event sponsored and supported by hundreds of organizations like yours from around the world. Registration is free. Go to alldaydevops.com to register and start building your schedule. All Day DevOps. All live. All online. All free. We're struggling too as an industry as far as the cultural transformation by thinking, does the movement come from the bottom or do you have to have movement from the top that's driving down and saying this is a process we're going to start participating in? I think you need both. That's probably why for a long time it was CI only because it's pretty much 
you, you can pretty much get, well, you can go pretty far without talking to anybody, right? The good old story of Jenkins with uh, uh, old computers working on the desk of, of developers, right? You would start performing uh, a transformation that was very limited in scope. But if you truly want to break the silo, change the culture, for developers to be owner of their application down to production and so on and so on, that's a massive change. There is no freaking way that happens within one silo and somehow wins the heart of everybody. It has to come uh, top down. And, and very few leaders can, can do it because it's hard change, you're taking risk. And you know, if you ask like the, the legal department in any organization, can we do that? What's the risk of them saying no? Zero. What's the risk of them saying yes? It's huge. So you need to have the cojones, essentially, to go against all of this and say, I understand, it's, it's, uh, it feels more safe. But to when do it, you but say you, who is you has to go against this? Who has to go? Well, you say you have to go against it. Who is you? Is oh, it it's a leadership. CEO, is it? It's a full leadership. Okay. So it starts with the CEO. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah, it starts with the CEO. Because you're going to have to break a few things. You're going to do wrong. I've actually seen companies, I'm sure you have too, where once the, the DevOps champion in the company either gets pushed out or overridden, the project just fails. If you don't have a high-level champion in-house, it's impossible to get this yeah. to work. Yeah, it's, it's building a muscle. You're really building a muscle as you do that. And if you don't have somebody kind of forcing you to, to do your uh, muscle exercise every year, your musculation every day, you, you always go back to uh, potato chips, TV, Netflix, uh, very easily, right? That's, that's a temptation. No, you, you need to really be forced uh, through that change, yeah. I want to go back to something you said a second ago, a little couple minutes ago, because I want to actually argue a point. Sure. That I don't think that DevOps has permeated the culture. And I have anecdotal evidence this morning I went to a full room training session here okay. at Jenkins World. And the first question is, how many people here are working on a DevOps project? And out of 100 people, maybe five people raised their hand. Yeah. And he said, how many people are here to learn about DevOps? And the whole room raised their hand. Yeah. To me, that means that there hasn't been penetration yet. I, I would agree with that. I'm talking about this long train, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of organizations are not are at the very start of, 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 of this. Yet, as an organization, as a vendor, uh, any vendor in the DevOps space, you have to stretch, to stretch quite a bit, right? Because you have to be helping the leaders in that space because they set the way forward with you. But you also need to help companies with just quote-unquote basic needs, right? We need to just get CI working, how do I do that? And, and you still find lots of organizations just doing waterfall. Yeah, so I, I would agree with you. I don't think we're uh, misaligned. Just, I just think it's a long train and, and, and we need to be able to work with a lot of different companies, which sometimes makes it hard for, for vendors, uh, especially because you, you... Well, the tools are decoupled now. When we started, uh, there was no cloud, pretty much. Then it was all about OpenStack. Then it was about uh, Mesos then it became about Kubernetes. But so for lots of vendors, including CloudBees, we had to constantly adapt and rebuild those foundations so that we could be part of that wave. 
And not that we made any stupid choice because it could have been any of those at any point in time, right? Obviously, it's, it's, it's much easier with insight to say, well, no, it's obvious that uh, OpenStack wouldn't be the way. But still, you need to, to, to be authentic and, and really be part of that because you're like, maybe it's, it's going to be right. And so you participate to that with the leaders and then you realize that it's not a, a great way to do things. So you evolve, you evolve. It's a market DevOps that, unlike a lot of markets, has been extremely agile of its own. Mm -hmm. If I remember my days at JBoss, we had an application server. From time to time, we had a new release of J2EE, uh, so everybody was excited to implement the spec. But by and large, it was a pretty static environment. Uh, we had all a Java virtual machine, we had a transaction monitor and, and so on. Uh, and and we, every time a new, re a new spec was released, we had more features to add, more services to add, but it was okay. In DevOps, a lot of the principles, a lot of the technology associated to cloud, to container, uh, are, are evolving very fast, and, and the pace of innovation and the fact that you have to constantly reinvent yourself as a company is very real. Look at how many companies in that space didn't do it. We talked about them 10 years ago as leaders, five years ago as leaders, different ones, and now nobody would even say their name. Uh, so I think it forced companies to be very humble and uh, redefine themselves constantly. What companies are you aligned with in the industry? Uh, Jenkins is virtually everywhere we go. Yeah. I mean, you can't go into a house anymore and not have Jenkins. What companies are you looking to align with to actually get that consolidated pipeline together? Our positioning at CloudBees is that we want to be the best at the center. And with SDM, we want to be the best up, meaning as the brain of DevOps. I'll get to that. But essentially, at the center, it's CICD. We're orchestrating the processes of DevOps. Our business is not to create an average solution that we think you should be using for every step along the way. Our job is to tell you, you should have choice, you want options, uh, you want to experiment with new tools. And the commitment we can make, thanks to Jenkins, is that any tool you choose, we're going to be able to integrate with mm. and help you with. That's really our positioning. Um, Does that come from the marketplace? I saw KK announce like two years ago at this. The marketplace you put up online and it looked like everybody in the industry was going to participate. Yeah, I think it's even wider than this. It's just the more than 1,500 plugins that exist. Uh, and it's not just like six lines of code. We're talking about extensive plugins that integrate with any solution out there, which means uh, you have the certainty that if you pick a Jenkins-based solution, you're not going to be blocked by what you can use or a Jenkins X solution. You, you can use anything. That's our first commitment, really. Then if, if I dig deeper, peel the onion a bit here, um, I think there is a category of tools that will be here no matter what, meaning it doesn't matter what you do in your team, you're going to be probably using those tools, while some other tools will be more team-specific, right? If you do mobile application or .NET, you're going to use different tools. But typically tools like Jira or a Git provider or... Uh, a repository like Sonotypes, uh, those will be used across the organization. I like to think of that as the, almost the Pareto concept where 80% is going to be a standard pipeline and it's the 20% that's almost going to be customization yeah. around that for a specific. When we look at the tipping point, we think about Malcolm Gladwell and what he talked about with the tipping point. 
what in a company to start with, and then we'll talk about industry, what in a company have you seen is the tipping point where the, the light bulb goes off and they say, I get it, what you're talking about, I get it? To me, it's competition and fear of dying. That's it. Yeah. We're really uh, reptilian at heart. The reptilian part of the brain needs to be hit. And once you have fear, then you move forward. Very few companies are lucky to have a visionaire at their top. And they can say, okay, we're doing a measuring device for or counters, you know, for water equipment. And oh, by the way, software is eating the world, so let's go here, right? That's amazing. But that rarely happens. What we see a lot more is your sales are going, are going down. You see competition from vendors. Three years ago, you thought were just cute. And, and now they're, they're eating the world. And so once you get that fear in your, in your gut, you understand that That's it's time to react. Yeah. That's, I, I see that too. It's yeah. literally, when you talk, and I hate to make Equifax the whipping boy, but it's just the thing that everybody understands is that it was fear after that that actually drove them hard to yeah. start looking at what was going on. But it didn't actually change anybody else. And I'll tell you how we know that. Okay. We, you know, we do the um, software supply chain report where we do the analysis of the downloads from the central repository. Okay. We tracked from like a couple years before Equifax to 18 months after Equifax. And the download patterns for that struts too increased after the breach announcement. Wow. Look, we all learn differently. Some learn because they see others do mistakes. And, but by and large, I, I still think human beings are, again, relying maybe too much on the reptilian uh, brain, right? If it did not happen to you, it's different, right? So you see it happen, like, we're different. We're different. What a bunch of morons, you think, right? But no, they just, it's just, yeah, they did mistakes, but everybody can do mistakes. And next thing you know is that you had other banks, other companies that also have faced the same type of issue. Not as big as Equifax, maybe, but it doesn't matter. Equifax has breath, so that's what happened. It's a binary thing. You get hacked or you don't get hacked. If you have well, five it's, customers... It's well, like, just... when are you going to get hacked? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Brian Krebs actually just let go of an article this morning, another 500, 500 million records. Who got the... You know Brian Krebs? Krebs uh -huh. Yeah. Brian put something online this morning. There's another breach, 500 million records. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, it's not going to stop. Yes. So let's talk about that. How are we as an industry or as a process going to help with securing systems like that? What's it, talk about Jenkins specifically. What in the Jenkins process helps somebody secure their software supply chain? I think we can, thanks to what we're building with the software delivery management layer, we're going to do a much better job at taking the signals from solution insecurity, such as sonotypes, to expose them and tell them, sorry, if you are not clean, you're not going to production. Mm -hmm. To really act as a gate, I think we, we can do a much better job there. But more philosophically, I think this industry as a whole uh, has a security, quote-unquote, problem to solve. Because, as you said, the question is not whether, it's when. And so how can we make sure that organization can be more secure? And I don't think we've found yet the answer to that. Let, it, me, let me jump in. Is there really an answer, or is the complexity just too much? I think there, 
at least partial, and it's it's never one zero again. But uh, if you think about AI, I think AI can do a lot to be much smarter about security. Uh, we've seen uh, we've seen some systems already pretty smart in detecting behavior that are suspicious based on AI, looking at lots of patterns. Um, so I think a lot more can can be done from that standpoint in terms of firewalls uh, um, and and uh, in terms of scanner of all sort uh, enforcing just so first it starts with enforcing the right best practices for developers but then AI can can do a lot uh, as well and more generally you know police uh, what is the role of police in uh, in countries or the army uh, I'm Swiss I live in Switzerland we have an army I'm not sure why be candid with you. Not sure if we're expecting the, the, the French to uh, steal our cheese or something like that. Um, but yet, if you are an SMB, you're left on your own to protect yourself, to hope that nothing's going to happen. So you need to hire essentially your uh, private security guard to guard your shop. That's, that's kind of the analogy we can make. And I think governments will increasingly have the responsibility to essentially make sure that there is order in the country. You're looking for security. the government to mandate security? Not mandate, actually detect at the periphery what's going to happen. Mm. I think it's going to get there because that's what they already do, already do with goods and services today. Mm. And we don't do it for IT. As much as I can expect the, the big banks and big uh, enterprises to have the resources to do that, I think a lot of smaller shops won't have the, the means to do that. Why would a country only be equipped with uh, tanks and, and, and FA-18 uh, when actually uh, the Swiss banks, for example, are more at risk of, of hackers than they are of uh, uh, you know, North Korea coming with tanks trying to steal our, our, our money, right? So I, I guess I don't have the answer to all of that. I'm just saying, I'm just raising this as uh, there is a lot more to do. And we're just at the start. And the fact that we have cloud is amazingly powerful, for example, but it exacerbates that problem. Uh, because suddenly, if there was a security flow at the core of AWS or Google or Azure, then it would not expose the data of one company like Equifax. It could expose millions of companies. I have no doubt that that's going to happen. They call me a pessimist, but I. That's going to happen. Right. So what do we do to prevent that? And right. uh, can we do better? Yeah. Well, Brian Krebs actually just let go of an article this morning, another 500, 500 million records. Who got the... You know Brian Krebs? Krebs uh -huh. Yeah. Brian put something online this morning. There's another breach, 500 million records. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, it's not going to stop. Yes. So let's talk about that. How are we as an industry or as a process going to help with securing systems like that? What's it, talk about Jenkins specifically. What in the Jenkins process helps somebody secure their software supply chain? I think we can, thanks to what we're building with the software delivery management layer, we're going to do a much better job at taking the signals from solution in security, such as sonotypes, to expose them and tell them, sorry, if you are not clean, you're not going to production. Mm -hmm. To really act as a gate, I think we, we can do a much better job there. But more philosophically, I think this industry as a whole uh, has a security, quote-unquote, problem to solve. Because, as you said, the question is not whether, it's when. And so 
how can we make sure that organization can be more secure? And I don't think we've found yet the answer to that. Let, it, me, let me jump in. Is there really an answer or is the complexity just too much? I think they're at least partial and it's, it's never one zero again. But uh, mm-hmm. if you think about AI, I think AI can do a lot hmm. to be much smarter about security. Uh, we've, seen, uh, we've seen some systems already pretty smart in detecting behavior that are suspicious based on AI, looking at lots of patterns. Um, so I think a lot more can, can be done from that standpoint in terms of firewalls uh, um, and, and uh, in terms of scanner of all sorts. Uh, enforcing just so first it starts with enforcing the right best practices for developers, but then AI can can do a lot uh, as well. And more generally, you know, police. Uh, what is the role of police in uh, in countries or the army? Uh, I'm Swiss. I live in Switzerland. We have an army. I'm not sure why. To be candid with you, I'm not sure if we're expecting the the, the French to uh, steal our cheese or something like that. Um, but yet, if you are an SMB, you're left on your own to protect yourself, to hope that nothing's going to happen. So you need to hire, essentially, your uh, private security guard to guard your shop. That's, that's kind of the analogy we can make. And I think governments will increasingly have the responsibility to essentially make sure that there is order in the country. You're looking for security. the government to mandate security? not mandate, actually detect at the periphery what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to get there because that's what they already do, already do with goods and services today. Mm-hmm. And we don't do it for IT. As much as I can expect the, the big banks and big uh, enterprise to have the resources to do that, I think a lot of smaller shops won't have the, the means to do that. Why would a country only be equipped with uh, tanks and, and, and FA-18 uh, when actually uh, the Swiss banks, for example, are more at risk of, of hackers than they are of, uh, uh, you know, North Korea coming with tanks trying to steal our, our, our yeah. money, right? So I, I guess I don't have the answer to all of that. I'm just saying, I'm just raising this as uh, there is a lot more to do, and we're just at the start. And the fact that we have cloud is amazingly powerful, for example, but it exacerbates that problem. Uh, because suddenly, if there was a security flow at the core of AWS or Google or Azure, then it would not expose the data of one company like Equifax. It could expose millions of companies. I have no doubt that that's going to happen. They call me a pessimist, but I, that's going to happen. Right. So what do we do to prevent that? And right. uh, can we do better? You've been in the industry a long time. Have you started to see the consolidation yet in this industry? It's interesting. I, I thought we, we had a possibility of that when GitHub was acquired. Mm-hmm. I thought this would potentially trigger uh, the domino. Um, I still think we're in the what I would call the phase one of consolidation, uh, where some of the leading DevOps companies are acquiring smaller companies. Uh, so there is consolidation at this level. I haven't seen much consolidation among those leaders yet. That's what I would call the phase two. Uh, and the phase three would be the big guys acquiring uh, the, the DevOps leaders. I still think we're uh, uh, in phase one. But it doesn't mean we need a phase two to go to phase three. Right? It's like the DEF CON level. You can, you can jump over one. Final thing that we can round up here is you've got some major announcements coming out at the conference yeah. tomorrow. 
I want to move a year from now. What do you hope to announce a year from now? So the world as I see it from a cloud-based standpoint a year from now is a lot more unification of our offering. Today, if you go on the CloudBees website and look at our offering, you might get confused because we have a lot of things. You know, we went through a number of acquisitions, Electric Cloud and, and Rollout. Uh, so I, I think the features we, are, we have are unique. Uh, the product we have are unique. But from a perception standpoint and from a, a user standpoint, I think we can offer a lot more. So uh, I think what we're going to be showing next year in terms of integration and unification of all of that value, in terms of one plus one equals three to, to use a good old uh, uh, image, uh, I think is going to be very real. I think uh, uh, we've always uh, kept an eye on AI as well and what we could do with data. I think uh, based on some of the development we're doing now, we're going to be much closer to, to extract uh, amazing insights uh, for, for next year. This is the DevSecOps Podcast. The DevSecOps Podcast is supported by OWASP, organizers of Melbourne's OWASP AppSec Day 2019, Australia's biggest software security conference. And by All Day DevOps, the world's largest DevOps conference with over 30,000 attendees, live online November 6th.